Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's our lead pastor, Matthew Malik. Well, are you ready for the Word? How many are ready for the Word? Now, we are in an amazing series entitled Seasons. And this is actually uh, part six. And we're actually going through the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter three in particular, looking at those verses that talk about a time for this, a time for that. And so uh, one of the things we see, and we're going to talk about today, this is titled, entitled Stones. We're going to be looking at verse five. But Ecclesiastes is actually a book that addresses a search for purpose and a search for the meaning of life. And how many of you want to know your purpose? How many of you, you want to know your, and what do you, how many of you want to really know the meaning of life? I believe that's so important, and I think all of us should be on the same page there. So really, Ecclesiastes is a book of perspective. And something that the Lord actually uh, put on my heart this morning for this message, and this is something you can prepare in your heart to receive, is to make it your goal to move from being passive to passionate in your relationship with God. Because God is looking for more from us in our response to him. And I believe God is um, generating passion within the hearts of his people. But you and I have a part to play to cooperate with allowing God to bring us from being passive to passionate. You know, there's similarities in the word, but they're two different things. There's too many people that are passive about the things of God, and they need to be passionate, okay? So, so let's look at our key verse, Ecclesiastes 3.1. It says, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. The New American Standard Version reads a little differently, but I want to share that as well. Ecclesiastes 3.1, there is an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven. Let's join our faith in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to show your word. And Father, as we prepare to celebrate the anniversary of our nation's birth, we pray, Father, for peace. And Father, the unrest around our borders, we pray for wisdom for our leaders. And for those families that have been separated, we pray, Father, that they'll be restored. We pray for heaven's wisdom to intervene in earthly affairs. And Father, we look to you as the one who has made America great and the only one that can cause America to remain a great nation. You said, Father, that when we look to you, you're able to move. And we pray, Father, for the well-being of America, its leaders, and its people. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I think sometimes people don't understand what true freedom is. And uh, some people equate freedom as to do whatever they want without consequence, without accountability. But true freedom is taking responsibility for privileges that are given and offered to us. And so freedom is a very precious thing. Freedom is something we have in Christ. 
Uh, freedom in Christ is not to just sin as you please, but it's to serve with all your heart. Okay? So just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, we are looking at, at verse 5, if you turn to verse 5 in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, this is, uh, when I first saw this, I said, oh, this is going to be a little challenging of a message. But we need to understand some of these things. Let's read this. Uh, a time to throw stones. There's a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. And so this morning we're going to actually address these four phrases that we particularly see in this passage. Uh, the first is to throw stones. How many of you are good at throwing, uh, stone throwers? You know, if you a flat stone on a, on a lake or a river, you can cause it to skip. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were out on, uh, on the river, and there's a little boy, he was throwing stones, and he could get the skip five or six times. I was really impressed because I, I couldn't get it to do that for whatever reason, uh, lack of coordination or what have you. But So that's the first thing we're going to address, throwing stones. And then the second one is gather stones, gathering stones, and then to embrace, and finally to shun embracing. So let's begin with a time to throw stones. And actually there's an idiom uh, about throwing stones and, and many times we think of it as casting an insult, uh, being critical towards somebody, uh, just being mean-spirited uh, in your demeanor towards another individual. Uh, throwing stones is, you know, you just, you're not dealing with somebody in a great way. You, 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 know, you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever thrown a stone at somebody in that sense, okay? Being critical with your words, being judgmental with your words, and just tearing somebody apart with your words. Yeah, that's what throwing stones is. And now there's so much packed in this verse, and I'm going to only be bringing out a few things. And uh, so to do this, we're going to look at uh, an incident that Jesus uh, experienced in his ministry when uh, the re religious leaders of the day brought this woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And so they were testing Jesus, trying to see if he would break the law, violate the law, because the law demanded that this woman be stoned to death. That was her judgment, that was her penalty. But we're going to go into that and just break that down a little bit uh, in this first uh, point on throwing stones. But let me just say this, throwing stones is or can be accusation and condemnation. Accusation and condemnation. Now, let me say this too. You may be a stone thrower and not even know it. Maybe you've been throwing stones and you don't even realize that you're a stone thrower. And it's because you haven't learned something, and we'll be talking a little bit about this, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. There's two positions that you can take on this first point. You can be an advocate or you can be an accuser. And, and so we want to be advocates because Jesus was an advocate in the case with that woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And we too need to be advocates in people's lives because even the world will throw stones in judgment. Uh, but it should never be coming from the church. The, as members of the body of Christ, we shouldn't be the ones throwing stones. And even as a refuge, we should be here to help people that are coming, that are hurting, that are broken, and that have been rejected even by the world. 
where they can find love, acceptance, and forgiveness here and be healed and set free and transformed by the power of the gospel, by the power of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you this question. When was the last time you accused or criticized someone? Maybe it was this morning. Maybe you criticized somebody or something about the service or something. I, I, we tend to be so critical in our nature. And, and sometimes when that critical thing rises up in me, I say, ah, I don't want that to be part of my life. I don't want to be known or identified as a, as a critical person. Now, there's a, there's a place for a criticism in the proper sense because there's positive criticism, which is a critique to help you improve or, or find out how you can do something better. And I, I'm always open for constructive criticism. But you know what? Destructive criticism is damaging and harmful and very often hateful. But uh, so if it's not constructive... It most likely is destructive, and we shouldn't be participating in it. Now, even though you may think you have just cause, uh, is it really your place to be critical or to be an accuser? See, now, under the Old Testament law, stoning was a form of capital punishment for violating the law, especially with this woman. In fact, uh, let's look at, we'll get into this. John 1.17, this is kind of the set of backdrop. In John 1.17 says, The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, so Jesus brought a balance to the imbalance of how the law was imposed upon the people. Okay? And so we have to balance the law in light of grace and truth that Jesus brought us. Okay? And so, and I have, it's, it's sad, but the church so often has been so judgmental in casting statements of criticism against people in general. And uh, sometimes we shoot our own wounded, which is also a sad thing. But we are to be restorers of broken lives. Just think about that. If we can embrace that, that would be very, very important. And so... Let's look at this. We're taking up and talking about it enough. In John chapter 8, and starting in verse um, 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, and those were the religious leaders. When you, ever, you see the scribes, the scribes were the one that, because they didn't have printing presses, uh, they would have a copy of the manuscript, and they would have another manuscript that they were writing, copying word for word, letter for letter. And so those were the scribes. They were very, I mean, they were gifted and skilled people. But, and then the Pharisees were the religious leaders that were to uphold the law, and maintain the law, and make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, okay? So they were, on, they were the watchdogs of the day, so to speak. And so... And so Jesus, he was a little bit different than them because they didn't have the grace and truth that Jesus brought. They just came with the law of Moses. And the law was only a sign to point to Jesus because the sign uh, was that without a Savior, we can't be saved because the law condemns us as we are. But Jesus saves us. Because we can't save ourselves, okay? So you're following me, okay? 
we'll get into this. Verse 4, they said to him, teacher, maybe I may even say it like that. They said it in Hebrew anyway. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, how do you figure that? I think, were these Pharisees spying, looking through windows? Or what were they doing? Come on, in the very act. I mean, it wasn't before, it wasn't after, it was during the very act. And then, um, verse 5, or actually, verse 4 goes on to say, Then they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery now in the law. Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Now, this was a real test. And the Pharisees thought, oh, we got him. He's been extending all this mercy, grace. He's forgiving all these prostitutes. He's forgiving the publicans, the sinners. He's sitting down having lunch with them. And now they're his followers. Now they're supporting his ministry. But, you know, so we got him. And so Jesus, in his wisdom, um, what does he say? Verse 6, it says, they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. What did Jesus do? He didn't say anything right away. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, there's a lot of speculation to what he was writing. Who knows what he was writing? Some say, well, maybe he was writing down the sins of all the people that were standing around him. Or maybe he was just drawing pictures. Or maybe he was just buying time. Because at that time, the crowd was heated, and they were ready to throw stones. And so uh, Jesus was trying to bring the pressure down, the tension down, to, uh, so that people could begin to think about what they were about to do. Because in the crowd that was there, I'm sure many of them were already gathering stones, picking up stones. And I was going to have some stones on the stage, but I, I, I forgot to bring my stones today, so... They're outside, okay? They're outside. Anyway, so verse 7, as they continued to ask him, so they would continue to ask him, they were nagging. Okay, what are you going to do, Jesus? What do you say about this, Jesus? Jesus says this statement, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow. Talk about conviction coming over a crowd. Now, in our reality, Jesus was the only one without sin, so he's really the only one that could throw a stone. Okay? And so Jesus was allowing this crowd and these Pharisees to realize that they too had sins. And if they were to stone this woman, then maybe they should be stoned themselves because they were guilty of sin as well. And then verse 8, and once more, he went back to drawing. <laughs> he bent down and wrote on the ground. He's writing something on the ground. But when they heard it, and that way, I'm believing it's, this is re in reference to hearing what Jesus said, the statement, or maybe hearing what was written on the ground because it began to speak to them. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders first, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now, what's interesting, that all the people left first. 
There's all the young kids that probably thought they knew better. And the people that live longer, they said, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm nailed here. I'm guilty. I'm done. I, I have to leave. And so, but the young punk saying, you know, because when, you, when, you, when you're 18, you think you know everything. When you're 22, you think, hey, maybe my parents did know something. By the time you're 30, you say, boy, I, I know nothing at all. You know? <laughs> when you get my age, we're still learning, okay? So all these older people leave first, but the younger ones stayed to the end, okay? Uh, then, after people leave, you know, um, what does it say? And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Can you imagine? This whole crowd just dispersed. And, and I'm sure there was conviction. And hopefully God was dealing with their hearts as they were going back to their homes, back to their places of business or what have you. And then Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? No one condemned you. Verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. So not only did Jesus forgive her, but he empowered her to break free from her sin. And see, we, we don't often see that. Sometimes we'll stop. Okay, uh, we're forgiven, but let's go sin again. No. Jesus' commands, his word empowered her to break free from that life of adultery, okay? And so now, again, who are you throwing stones at? Don't ever use someone's moral failure to elevate yourself on a higher ground so you can condemn them. See, Jesus could have, but he didn't. Sometimes we say, well, I'm not like that person. I would never do that. But that's still somebody who's standing as an accuser, not an advocate. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, it says, Judge not that you not be judged. Now, the word actually in the Greek means to condemn because there are proper places for judgment because other places in the New Testament, the word judge means to examine to look at, to evaluate. But in this particular verse, Matthew 7, 1, it says, judge not or condemn not that you not be condemned. For with the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Why, verse 3, do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? See, there's, there's so much we could say here, but I don't have time to really dig into this. We need to understand that God himself does not judge a man until he dies. So why should you? Because the Bible says after death comes the judgment. Okay? See, we often accuse others to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. You know that? And we should never lack compassion in the moment that lacks it. You might be in a situation and, and there's no compassion being shown and, and you might just want to get on the bandwagon because that's where the peer pressure is. But don't lack compassion in the moment that lacks it. Everyone may be throwing stones. Don't be among those that are throwing stones. Now, is it ever okay to throw stones? Yes. When is it okay to throw stones? Self-defense would be one. 
or when you have to kill the giant. <laughs> you have to throw stones to defeat an enemy. In 1 Samuel, a guy by the name of David, how many of you remember David? David was a good guy, you know, he had his issues. Uh, he came through, he repented, got things right. But he faced the giant. And in 1 Samuel 17:40, the scripture reads, Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Now this giant, he was about nine feet tall or something like that. David didn't take five stones because he thought he would have to take repeated shots at this guy. He just realized that this Philistine Goliath had four brothers. So he wasn't going to miss. Okay? So that's another time to throw stones. Okay? But don't let it be an accusation. Let it only be when you're defeating your giant. Okay? And that giant might be some issue in your life that you're struggling with, that you haven't come to grips with, that you've been intimidated by, but you need to face your giant. Then it's time to throw the stone. Now, the second part of this, I'm going to rush through this. I spent the bulk of the time, or most of the time, in the first part. But the second part is a time to gather stones. And we see different references in the Bible about gathering stones. We see the physical temple when it was built in First Chronicles 22.2. David commanded to gather together the, the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel. And he set stone cutters to prepare dress stones for building the house of God. So they were getting these stones ready for the temple, to prepare and build the temple. And then uh, there's also, uh, you know, times that uh, we pick up stones because stones might be in your pathway and it could cause you to trip. You know, sometimes you have to clear the pathway. You know, really gathering stones is in relation to planting and building you know, being raised on a dairy farm, we would have to go through the field and pick up the stones. You know, if we were going to plant corn, a stone could mess up the corn planter. So we had to make sure that stones were cleared from the field before we could plant. Okay, that was a time to gather those stones. And on the farm, we had stone piles. We would load them up on the, the, the um, hay wagon. And, you know, one of us would drive and three or four of us would be walking on each side. We'd be picking up stones, driving through the field, stop at the stone pile, unload the stones. Okay, we'd gather stones so we could plant that field. We gather stones so we can build. And I believe there's, there's stone masons. They'll gather stones to build a fireplace, to put on a wall on the house. So, you know, there's, there's different times we gather stones. And uh, there was a time with Laban and Jacob, they gathered stones in Genesis. And I'll just give you the reference, Genesis 31, uh, 44 uh, to 45 or 46. Uh, uh, Laban was the father-in-law of Jacob. And he kind of left with all of his family and everything. And so then uh, Laban comes after him and they have this dispute and they decided, okay, we're going to gather stones together. We're going to build this monument. And this will be a reminder and a witness to both of us that we've made peace. So gathering stones can be in making a resolution to establish peace and a commitment to each other to walk through something together. And then we see gathering of stones. There are living stones in this room right now. All of you are living stones. 
there's a spiritual temple being built. Jesus is gathering stones to build this house, which is called the church. We see that in 1 Peter. You can turn there if you have your Bibles. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 6. As you come to him, this is Peter writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a living stone, he's writing about Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, that's Jesus, and whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. So you and I are living stones being built up in the house of God. Okay, we want to look at these other two things, a time to embrace what do you need to hang on to? Because embrace implies that. It, it means to, to clasp, to hold closely. It's the Hebrew word kolbak. And it can be applied to people or things that we value, that we hold dear, and are unwilling to let go of. Okay? To embrace is to accept something with great interest and enthusiasm. Well, we, I embrace this truth. I embrace this revelation. I embrace this concept. You know, you hear that terminology. And we embrace wisdom. One of the things we embrace is wisdom. Uh, now, wisdom, some people say, okay, why is wisdom described as a female in Proverbs? Proverbs 3.18, let's read it. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. Okay, so that's embracing, obviously, wisdom. But wisdom is applied, or the allegory is like a schooling mother training her children. Okay? And so the wisdom she shares in training her children is, is what the child embraces. And this is applied to us. When we embrace the wisdom of God, we embrace that. We hold tightly to it. Okay? And so another thing we embrace is we embrace the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the cross of Jesus Christ may be offensive, but it's through the cross that we find salvation. It's where Jesus paid the ultimate price and sacrifice for you and for me. And we embrace the cross by embracing the concept of what Jesus did and the reality of what he accomplished for us. I embrace the cross of Jesus Christ. He died on that cross for my sins, for your sins, so that we don't have to face judgment. The last point, am I moving through this? That's enough. Could make this in two parts, but we won't. A time to shun embracing. And with this, what do you need to let go of? What are you holding on to that you need to let go of? Now, I'm known as a hugger, and I'll give hugs all the time. And sometimes, maybe it's not appropriate to hug. If I've just had a heated discussion with my wife, I say, honey, give me a hug. She's just kind of stiff and cold. Okay, that's the time. I better shun hugging right now because a hug isn't going to get this job done, okay? <laughs> and so, um, anyway, I don't know why I said that, but <laughs> it's all relevant. Yeah. So, another thing we need to shun embracing is sin. Because sin will destroy you. 
And some of you are hanging on to your sin. You're not willing to give it up. You have to come to the place where you're willing to get free before you ever will get free. Some people say, I'm so bound. But you want to stay bound. You're not willing to get set free until you say, God, I don't want this bondage in my life anymore. I don't want this sin to control me anymore. You can break free from sin because Jesus already paid the price for you too. Okay? And so... Another thing is the lie. We need to shun embracing, embracing the lie. Some of you have embraced the lie. You've believed things about yourself that is not in line with the word of God. You believe that you're a failure. You believe that you never succeed. You believe that you're less than worthy. Those are all lies. You've been lied to. You've been lied about. And you've believed and embraced that lie. So we're not going to embrace the lies about us anymore. And the only way you can find out what the truth is by spending time in God's word. So then you can recognize the lie. Because some of you don't recognize the lie is a lie. You believe the lie is the truth. And you've lived according to the lie. Because you haven't known the truth. But once you discover the truth, the lie is exposed. And when the lie is exposed, then you can embrace the truth. Okay? And reject the lie. You can shun embracing the lie. As we, as we close, I, I just want you to take a moment here um, and hear me out. I, I want to extend an invitation to you in light of what we just shared, in light of this message. I believe it's important for us to really allow the Spirit of God to touch those areas of our life that He wants to change. Because there's something He wants to change in you He doesn't want you to leave the same way you came in. He wants you to go out with a deposit that can make a positive difference in your life because he's passionately in love with you and he wants to see you walk in freedom. He already paid the price for that freedom and it grieves his heart when you still remain in bondage. You don't have to. Now we talked about the advocate and the accuser. Jesus is our advocate. And if you're here today and you've never really met Jesus in a personal way, maybe you you lived your life in the religious sense, you believe God, you've gone to church, but you have never established a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to help introduce you to the advocate, to the one who took your place, to the one who went and, and, and claimed a total, full responsibility for every wrong that you've done and took the penalty upon himself. And in exchange, he gave you forgiveness of sins and the opportunity to share eternity with him, free from all that mess, free from sin, its nature, and the consequences of it. See, God grades on the cross, not on the curve. So when he looks at your life, you know, if he's to grade you, because you have had teachers, they grade you papers, and, and sometimes, you know, teachers, well, this is a hard test. We're going to grade on the curve. So the one who gets the most points right, that's going to be the A, and then we're going to go down from there. But in this case, we understand that God grades on the cross. When he looks at your life, when he looks at your sin, he establishes a grade. He gives you an A when you believe and receive the answer that he gives you. See, he gives you the answer so you can get an A on the test. Guess what? He happens to be the answer. So when you receive him, you receive the answer that you need in your life. You might say, well, that's too simplistic, Pastor Matt. Well, 
God never made it difficult. Jesus is your answer right now, today, yesterday, and every day in the future. Jesus is the answer, always will be the answer for you, okay? Philippians 3, 18 and 19. It says, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, and even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, the God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. As I read that, I thought, I don't ever want to be an enemy to the cross. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is my answer, because that's where he paid the price for me. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's stand up together at this time, and, and we're going to extend an invitation to you. If you are here and you say, Pastor, I don't know that my life is right with God. If I were to die this day, I don't know that I'd be ready to meet him. I serve as a police chaplain, and a, a little over a week ago, I was called to the scene of a young man that was killed in the motorcycle accident. When he woke up that morning, he did not know that that was his last day on this earth. And I was able to minister to his friends, and those who were there that witnessed the whole event to pray with them and, and, and encourage them in, in the things of God. You may not know this could be your last day. And if you haven't made your peace with God, what are you waiting for? With heads bowed, I want you to be honest and say, Lord, my life is not right with you. Lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray with me, for me, so that my life would be made right with God? If that's you, this one, just lift your hand, okay? I see those hands. Any others? Thank you for being so honest. Okay, you can put your hands down and we're going to pray together. Whether you raised your hand or not, we want to pray this prayer together because as we pray this prayer, we're going to make a commitment to Jesus Christ and offer our heart and life to him. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I come before you as a sinner acknowledging I need a Savior. I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I believe that he rose from the dead to give me new life and to forgive me of my sins. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life, into my heart, as my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me and cleanse me and transform my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.